Wednesday, June 27th, 2012, episode number 7 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Welcome inside episode number seven, which means it is week seven of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer, available exclusively on footballnation.com and for download in the iTunes store, along with the other podcasts offered at footballnation.com each and every Wednesday throughout the NFL offseason. Of course, you can expect a new edition of Football Nation Today to be published around the final Wednesday in June, June 27th of 2012. Next week, it will be the 4th of July, if you can believe that. Uh, My favorite holiday of the entire year. July is my favorite month of the entire year as well. We will have a show next week. Then I'm going on vacation, taking a week off. But next week, Wednesday, July 4th, there will be a brand new edition of the Football Nation Today podcast to take you through your holiday week. Interesting that 4th of July on a Wednesday, isn't it? I mean, if it's on a Thursday or a Friday, easy, long weekend. If it's on a Monday, oh, easy, long weekend, just on the other end. If it's on a Tuesday or Wednesday, though, it's a little tricky. I mean, you're not going to really take a five-day weekend, right? So, what, you just have one day off in the middle of the week, then back to the work grind on Thursday? Or do you just take the entire week off, and that's your, you know, one of your big week vacations of the summer? So, interesting things to talk about. What are you doing the 4th of July is on a Wednesday. Also very interesting to talk about football. That's what we do here on the Football Nation Today podcast. As always today, going through our first down, second down, third down, and fourth down segments. Uh, I think we have a really interesting show for you. A lot of points I want to discuss as we inch closer to start a training camp at the end of next month. Uh, Anthony King wrote a well-read article on footballnation.com this week, which had a record 29,509 views. So we want to give Anthony King his credit about the 10 most questionable moves of the offseason. In the first down segment, we'll look at five of the questionable moves Anthony King listed. Four of them I pretty adamantly disagree with. One of them I adamantly agree with. So we'll talk about that in our first down segment. I think it should be interesting. Hopefully you do too. Then the second down segment, we talk about the Jerry Sandusky trial, convicted on 45 of the 48 charges levied against him. This is a reminder that a school's football culture is not bigger than culture itself. I'll dive into my closing thoughts on Sandusky, what it means for Penn State, but more importantly for this podcast, what it means in terms of football and the football culture in this country. Then the third down segment, it's our big up slowdown, talking about everything from Darrell Rivas threatening another holdout to Scott Fajita speaking on Bounty Gate, to Percy Harvin requesting a trade from Minnesota. Then in the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant, where I talk about NFL analysts who think they're better than us because they played the game. We'll talk about that as well. Also want to give a quick shout-out to LeBron James, begrudgingly so, yes, but a shout-out nonetheless for winning his first championship as a member of the Miami Heat. Say what you want about LeBron, but man, did he get it done in the playoffs this year, huh? Down 2-1 to one to Indiana, won all those games. Down 3-2 to Boston, entering Game 6 at the Garden. And LeBron, not the Heat one, we can say it, had a legendary playoff performance, 40-plus points. They lost the first game to Oklahoma City in the finals, then breezed on through, won that series in five games. Take the blinders off, as I did. Look at LeBron James, and you gotta say, 
he showed you something this year. And if he's figured it out up there in the head, if he's figured it out in terms of off-court demeanor as well, huh, look out. Couple of that with his ungodly physique and talent. Look out below. Always got to give our shout-outs to champions in other sports because that's what it's all about. But from here on out, it's all about football on Football Nation Today, back after this. Welcome back to the Football Nation Today podcast as we get into our first down segment where we look at the biggest on-field NFL story of the week. Now, since it's the offseason, since it's still technically the slow season in the National Football League, digging up interesting talking points. Last week on the show, of course, we talked about parity in the NFL, whether it's a myth or a reality. Had some really good conversation going on on the show page last week in the comment thread. As always, feel free to leave your comments about each show on footballnation.com. Also, shoot me an email. My email address is areamer at bu.edu. Hit me up on Twitter. At AlexRumor1 is my Twitter handle. Love the listener participation. That is what, in my mind, makes podcasts so unique, the listener involvement. Uh, but as I mentioned in the opening, Anthony King, Football Nation contributor, wrote an article that had well north of 29,500 views about the 10 most questionable moves of the offseason. Listed 10 of them. Read the article. I highly encourage you to do so, as so many have. Here are five, though, of, I think, the uh, more controversial statements Anthony King made in his article. Four of the five I disagree with. One of them I do agree with and agree with passionately. Let's, though, start with the ones that I disagree with. Number one, this is the very first one on the list. The Broncos writing a blank check to Peyton Manning this offseason. Anthony King feels that was a very questionable move on Denver's part. Um... Look, obviously it's a questionable move. Any big-ticket free agent acquisition is going to be a questionable move from some perspective. But the Denver Broncos and John Elway saw Peyton Manning throw, as other teams did. They didn't see him ten times. They saw him once, maybe twice. But they saw enough to be willing to write, as you said in the article, Anthony, a blank check to Manning. And if the Broncos didn't do it, another team was going to do it. If the Broncos weren't going to hand Manning his money, another team out there was going to hand Manning his money. So the Broncos did what they did for Peyton Manning, not because it was the ideal situation for them, probably wasn't, but because they had to do that in order to land Peyton Manning. And look, it was, you know, uh, incredibly clear last season. John Elway was not behind Tim Tebow as a future quarterback for the Denver Broncos. So this gave Elway the opportunity, jettison Tebow out of town, and do so in a way where few would argue with it. I mean, you're trading Tim Tebow for Peyton Manning. Even the most adamant Tebow supporters would have to concede to the point that this stage in time, Peyton Manning is a far, 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 far superior quarterback to Tim Tebow. I would say even 85 to 90% of Peyton Manning is a far, 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 far superior quarterback to Tim Tebow at this juncture. You look at the Manning contract, he's guaranteed $18 million this season, then $18 million for each of the next two seasons if he passes a physical. So, it's not that bad. Yeah, Manning's guaranteed $18 million up front this season, but then he has to pass a physical to be guaranteed an additional $36 million for the next two seasons. So the Broncos do have some injury protection in here. And you have to assume 
that if Manning is healthy this season, which by all accounts right now, I know it's very early, but it seems as if Manning is healthy or very close to it, um, and if he passes the physical at the end of next season, you have to assume he's, he, he, he's, he's healthy, and there is little doubt that a healthy Peyton Manning will still be a very good quarterback in this league for the next three to five years. So, yes, there's a risk there. Of course there's going to be a risk there when you bring in a guy like Peyton Manning, but in my opinion, the reward outweighs the risk, or at least is relatively equal equal with the risk. Look, if Peyton Manning is even 90% of his former self in a relatively weak AFC West division still, the Broncos immediately catapult themselves, in my humble opinion, to bonafide favorites. And as we saw with the Patriots last year in the AFC, look, you rack up 11-12 regular season victories, which is possible for Denver with a relatively weak divisional schedule. You have a first-round bye, home playoff game in the second round. Take your chances. It can be done. Another move Anthony King said was controversial was the Buffalo Bills giving Mario Williams a six-year, $96 million deal. Uh, look, it's an overpay. It's more than what the Bears gave Julius Peppers a couple of off-seasons ago. But in order to attract major free agents to Buffalo, the Bills are going to have to overpay. Williams gives them a major weapon as a defensive pass rusher and maybe some legitimacy as well. You know, maybe other free agents say, you know, a guy as talented as Mario Williams went to Buffalo for the right amount of money, I'll be willing to do it too. Williams couldn't have said no to the money. Yes, it's an overpay by market standards, but the Buffalo Bills have to overpay free agents to get them to go there. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to extend yourselves a little bit to bring in a superstar the caliber of Amario Williams and maybe add some legitimacy to a Buffalo defense as well. Don't forget, the AFC East outside of the Patriots, I think, is relatively wide open this year. And we know the Bills have gotten off to good starts the past couple seasons, last year in particular. They've collapsed down the stretch, though. Or not even down the stretch. Once the schedule turns to mid-October, they've seemed to collapse. But maybe you add in Williams to the defensive line at defensive end, gives that defense more legitimacy to back up Ryan Fitzpatrick and what actually was a pretty good offensive attack last year for Buffalo. And maybe they walk themselves to a 500 season, a 9-7 and seven season. It's the NFL. Anything is possible. And at the very least, Mario Williams going to Buffalo gives them a legitimate talent up front, one of the best defensive ends in the league, and also adds them, also gives the franchise some legitimacy in terms of other major free agents and stars around the league. Now, Anthony King says that Chad Ochocinco getting released by the Patriots was a controversial decision. I think this was a no-brainer kind of decision. And, you know, I rarely pull this card, but I live in New England, follow the Patriots on a daily basis. Uh, Ocho Senko was never going to work here. He didn't grasp the playbook. He even admitted that to the Dolphins this week, that he didn't grasp the Patriots' playbook after one year there. Shocker, right? I mean, that's the biggest non-story ever. Of course, Ochocinco didn't grasp the playbook. He lost Tom Brady's trust. And one thing is for certain, when a wide receiver loses Brady's trust, it's impossible for that receiver to gain it back. Look at Joey Galloway a couple seasons ago. Came in here, struggled some in training camp, struggled mightily at the start of the regular season, and he was in Brady's doghouse by week three, week four. And maybe some of that blame needs to go to Tom Brady. The fact that he isn't necessarily willing to work with new wide receivers like he once was, and he doesn't have a lot of patience for new wide receivers who come from different systems, can't convert easily to the Patriots' playbook. 
Maybe that's a criticism to Brady now, but what Brady's doing seems to be working pretty well. You know, he seems to find more than enough guys who can keep up with him, keep up with the system, you know, and, and guys who can get open for him and he can throw passes to. Ocho Cinco wasn't getting open for Brady, wasn't working here at all. Uh, I That's one thing you have to admire about Bill Belichick. He's made some questionable personnel moves over the past handful of years, especially in regards to the draft. Not so much last year's draft, but look at the Patriots drafts from 06 through 08, 06 through 09 even. Some real sketchy drafts in there, and Bill Belichick always cuts his losses. He does not hold on to a player just because he was behind him. You know, Albert Hainsworth was cut midseason last year. Ocho Cinco cut this offseason. Patriots could draft you in the second round, and if you don't produce one year after you're drafted, you could be gone as well. So one thing you have to admire about Bill Belichick and the Patriots organization is that they don't hold on to mistakes. They admit their wrongs. And there's no doubt about it, Chad Ochocinco was a wrong for the Patriots. Speaking of malcontent, prima donna wide receivers, Terrell Owens. Anthony King says in his well-read article was blackballed from the NFL this year. What's up with that? Well, I'll tell you what's up with that. T.O. hasn't played in over a year. Yes, he caught 72 passes in Cincinnati in 2010, but it was in Cincinnati. Remember that. <laughs> I'm convinced after watching Ocho Senko struggle his way through an actual structured offense last season that uh, and what they're running in Cincinnati may not be compatible with the rest of the league. <laughs> um, look, at this stage, the, the production Terrell Owens could give you simply is not worth the headache. How do you know he'll be a headache, Alex? Well, just look at his last stint in the wannabe Arena Football League he played in, right? I mean, he missed practices, missed away games, didn't live up to his end of the bargain, according to team ownership. So, the production isn't worth the headache here with Terrell Owens. Um, at one point, it was in his career, most certainly in his prime. You could put up with the, head case, with the headache because he gave you elite production. Terrell Owens would not give you elite production, not anything close to that, and thus, not worth to... Not worth the headache he would still cause because even though Terrell Owens may not produce elite production on the field or have elite production on the field, I can guarantee we can still produce elite, head elite headaches off the field. And the headaches at this stage don't match up with the production. I feel the San Francisco 49ers will find out a very similar thing with Randy Moss as well as they go forward with him. Now, the last thing that Anthony King wrote is something I really agree with. It's about the franchise tag being used as a weapon. Uh, guys like Matt Forte, Wes Welker, Drew Brees have all been franchised this offseason. The teams have franchised them, held them captive in their final years instead of working out long-term extensions with those franchise players. And on the whole, I absolutely agree with this premise. Teams should always look to lock up their stars long-term rather than franchising them going year to year and causing things to get contentious. If you sit down with a player before his contract is out and you look to work out a long-term extension, the player and his agent will be affable towards the team negotiations and maybe save the team some money in the long term. Patriots learned this the hard way with Logan Mankins a couple years ago. I've gone to this example a couple times because it's really the perfect example here. Patriots had Logan Mankins play out the entirety of his rookie contract. Then in the final year of his deal, they franchised him. Logan Mankins was incredibly upset, had enough, sat out of training camp, sat out most of the regular season, took the fines, didn't care. And what happened? Eventually, the Patriots said, this is ridiculous. We can't have Logan Mankins, an elite left guard in the league, sit out like this. Patriots sat down, eventually worked out a deal with Mankins. 
And as a result, Mankins didn't give the Patriots an inch because they didn't give him an inch, and the Patriots wound up billing up the money to Mankins and making him, today, still the highest-paid guard in the league by a significant margin. If you sit down with your franchise players long-term, they're going to be more affable towards you in negotiations, and you're going to save the team money in the long term. I mean, now Drew Brees, if I were him, I would take the Saints to the bank, and rightfully so. He's the franchise QB. He's the face of that franchise, one of the faces of the city. You know he's going to be elite for the next five years or so, right? Give him a deal comparable to the one Manning got. Give him a deal comparable to the one Brady got. And call it a day. What are you doing dicking around Drew Brees? Because if you dick around Drew Brees, he's going to dick around you. And you're not going to save money in the long run. You're going to even have to pay up more in the long run than you would have if you just sat down with Breeze last year, two years ago, put your number on it, and worked out a long-term extension like you should have. Because I'm assuming the New Orleans Saints want Drew Breeze to be there for the long term, so why not start acting like it and give him the long-term extension he deserves? I absolutely hate the franchise tag. Anyway, second down. This is our big off-field NFL story of the week. And this week, of course, has to do more with general football. It has to do with former Penn State coach Jerry Sandusky, as you know by now, found guilty on 45 of the 48 charges of sexual assault and molestation levied against him. Uh, this is a reminder that a school's football culture is not bigger than culture itself. And I feel as if in regards to Penn State, sometimes we forget that. Since 1977, when the Second Mile program first opened, many of these allegations regarding Sandusky had been swept under the rug. You're to tell me, the first time Joe Paterno knew about any of this was in 2002, when assistant coach Mike McQuarrie stumbled upon Sandusky in the shower with a boy. And even so, after finding out, all Paterno did was alert campus police. What do you do, call Paul Blart and Mall Cop? Really? I mean, you're to tell me that Jerry Sandusky, one of Joe Paterno's most trusted assistants for decades upon decades, first opened up the second round program in 1977, and the first time he ever molested a boy was in 2002? Really? He just turned into a child molester overnight in his late 50s, early 60s? I don't think so. And you're to tell me that someone as close to Sandusky as Paterno was had no idea what went on in that program for 25 years? Come on. Really, if you believe that, you also believe the Tooth Fairy exists. Joe Paterno swept this under the rug because he could. If this got out, it would have been too harmful for the program. Incredibly harmful for the program. Football was chosen over morality. And I seldom get on my moral high horse, and I often loathe those who do. But this is a case where the football culture at Penn State got completely out of whack. And we put football above morality. You're going to tell me that nobody affiliated with Penn State from 1977 through 2002 had any idea as to what was going on with the Second Mile program? And remember, the first time sexual molestation charges were brought up against Sandusky were the late 1990s. That's why Sandusky was taken off the Penn State staff in 1998, to give you an exact year. That was the first time um, any charges were levied against Sandusky. In 1999, he retired as Penn State defensive coordinator. 
coincidence that just one year after the charges were first levied against Sandusky, they were dropped, and the Attorney General was found dead, actually, pursued the case. That's a separate story. And Sandusky, just one year after, in 1999, retires. Really? Is that a coincidence? And after his retirement as Penn State Defensive Coordinator, he remained as Coach Emeritus with an office in and access to the Penn State football facilities. Another example of Penn State trying to sweep this thing under the rug and people putting a blind eye to it. I mean, no reporter out there in Happy Valley? Had it occur to him or her? Hmm. Here's Jerry Sandusky, coach with Penn State, D coordinator. Sexual molestation, sexual assault charges levied against him in the Second Mile Charity in 1998. That year, actually, he was given a coaching honor. Then one year after that, he retires as Penn State defensive coordinator. Still, while he's seemingly in the height of his coaching career there. Nobody decided to check that out. People just took that at face value. Really? Everyone turned a blind eye to it because no one wanted to face reality. Again, football has chosen over morality. And as much as we like football, as much as we like sports, we have to remember never to do that. Penn State will recover. They will recover. They're not going to get any sort of major sanctions by the NCAA, or at least it appears that way as of now. They'll eventually recover. Apparently, they're doing decently on the recruiting trail as well. But in my opinion, they need to flush that program clean. I mean, Tom Bradley was named the interim coach last year, a guy who was on the staff with Sandusky and Paterno for years himself. Penn State needs to completely wipe clean of this. I hope others formerly involved with the university are punished as well, as well as President Graham Sponnier, the athletic director, and others. But Penn State will eventually recover. They should recover. I don't have anything against the athletes currently there. I don't have anything against the innocent people there. And I say innocent people, people didn't really have an idea about the scandal, though I wonder how deep it ran. I don't wish harm on Penn State alum, Penn State students, nobody. I think their program will recover, and it should recover. And when it does recover, it will be a nice story. The turnaround of Penn State. But it's also a reminder that things got really out of whack there in Happy Valley. And we chose football over morality. And let that be a reminder to us to never do that again. Time for our third down segment. It's the big up slow down segment. I say a statement, and then if I agree with it, it's a big up. If I disagree with it, it's a slow down. Some things have been talked about over the past week. Big up or slow down. Darrell Rivas is out of bounds for threatening not to report to training camp for yet another contract dispute. Rivas has two years, $13.5 million remaining on his deal and has been paid $32.5 million over the first two seasons of this contract. Rivas says the team promised him they would revisit his contract after two years and thus he is entertaining the possibility of holding out again. I say big up. Darrell Rivas is out of bounds here for threatening not to report to training camp for yet another contract dispute. I'm almost always on the side of the player in things like these. In the NFL, there aren't guaranteed contracts. The team can cut the player at any time. There's a limited earnings window. The player has to make the most of his limited earnings window. Teams are always going to play hardball with the player, franchise tag, everything else. So the player has every right, in my opinion, to play hardball right back. 
And when Revis first held out two years ago, I supported him. I said, look, he's the best quarterback in football. With the NFL becoming a pass-oriented league, you can thus make the argument that Darrell Revis is actually the best defensive player in football. He is so valuable to that Jets defensive scheme and everything they do. The Jets should pay him like an elite corner. And they did. Now Darrell Revis wants to hold out again. The Jets just extended him. I understand it's a man-eats-man world in the NFL. And I understand the player has to make the most of his limited earnings potential and limited earnings years. But doesn't the player also have to honor the contract he signed just two years ago? I mean, if there's one year remaining on the deal in the NFL, in my opinion, pretty much anything goes. But there are two years left on this deal. The player has to honor the contract a little bit too, as the Jets have thus far as well. Big up or slow down. Scott Fujita recently came out and said he sees the bounty case as a smear campaign on the part of the NFL. Big up or slow down. Is he right? I say slow down here. It is true, as we've discussed before in regards to Bountygate and the ongoing saga there. The evidence has turned out to, yes, be more inference and hearsay than first thought. But that's still enough to convict within the confines of the NFL. The suspensions Roger Goodell handed out to the Saints coaches and players and some members of the front office did not have to go through a court of law. Yes, in a court of law, as we learned last week at the Roger Clemens perjury case, reasonable doubt is all you need to be given a not guilty verdict. But the National Football League is not a court of law. If Roger Goodell deems it appropriate to levy these suspensions to specific Saints players, former players, current players, with inference and hearsay, then it's Goodell's right. I mean, why would the NFL want to make this a smear campaign? What would the NFL have to gain by smearing the Saints and smearing some prominent defensive players currently on the Saints and formerly on the Saints? I mean, why would the NFL want to have the issue of player safety continually be in the headlines if it doesn't have to be? So no, slow down, Scott Vegeta's incorrect. The NFL does not have the NFL, this is not a smear campaign on part of the NFL because, because they have nothing to gain by smearing anyone affiliated with the Saints. Piercy Harvin requested a trade from the Vikings this week. Big up or slow down, the Vikings should deal him. I say big up. A malcontent wide receiver can be a poison to rebuilding team like Minnesota. A, guy, a quarterback like Christian Ponder, second full year in the league, needs to develop with wide receivers who will be willing to work with him, who will be willing to sacrifice some potential gains in terms of, you know, for Ponder's gains and for the team's gains. They cannot have a wide receiver who's pretty much solely worried about his specific statistics and accomplishments. Piercy Harvin's a talented guy. He, he'll be used to many teams around the league as that deep threat that so many around the league love and covet. So yes, big up. The Vikings should deal Harvin, get talent in return for him, maybe get draft picks in return for him, set him free, and so he can't bother Christian Ponder and hinder his development this season, as Malcontent's star-wide receivers have been known to do to young quarterbacks still learning on the job. 
Big up or slow down? Well, first, let's give you the statement. Mike Vick spoke to the rookies at the NFL Rookie Symposium this week. Pac-Man Jones did the week before. Vick told the players to be accountable for everything you do. Big up or slow down? It is effective to have guys like Pac-Man Jones and Mike Vick to speak to the NFL rookies. I give this a big, big up. Uh, I think it's always effective and best to have peers speak directly to the players, especially those like Vic and Adam Pacman Jones, who have done wrong. When an NFL rookie enters the league, he hears all the horror stories, but his first inclination is to say, yeah, yeah, it happened to that guy, it won't happen to me. Look, sometimes in life, as a 19-year-old entering my sophomore year in college, that's my first inclination too. To say, yeah, yeah, it happened to him, it happened to her, but that won't happen to me. And sometimes in life, you have to learn the hard way that, yeah, it does happen to you. And for guys like Mike Vick and Adam Pacman Jones to tell the NFL rookies that they are not invincible, I think that's an effective way, a very effective way to handle a rookie symposium. Time to close out the show with the fourth down segment in a brief Reamer rant. Nothing in the news this week really caught my ire. More what continually catches my ire with the NFL is the people who talk about it on television. Um, NFL analysts who talk in tongues and talk about the zero-set package. Like, the National Football League is, a, like, analyzing the National Football League is akin to breaking down some obscure equation in organic chemistry. I understand that if you play the game, you will have more expertise as far as X's and O's goes with those of us who didn't play the game. But just because you played the game doesn't mean that your opinion on the game is the only opinion that can be valid. It doesn't mean those of us that didn't play the game can't have an opinion and have a a valid opinion. I mean, you critique movies, right? You're never an actor. You're never in one. So what? I mean, how would you like that, right? I mean, you go to a restaurant, right? You eat a meal. You don't like the meal. Sir, the head chef comes out. Sir, how did you like your, uh, how did you like your, uh, your, your tuna tartare? And you say, eh, you know, didn't like it. A little fishy. Didn't like what you did there. Didn't like the side you paired with it. How was your steak? Eh, a little too raw for my liking. What if the head chef turned around to you and said, eh, you can't say that. Have you been a head chef in a restaurant before? Well, I mean, how ridiculous would that be, right? Or, you know, you go to a, you know, or like, you, you, go, you go to a movie, and you say, yeah, you know, that movie didn't really work for me, I didn't really think it was funny. Why? Have you ever been a comedian? Have you ever been a movie star? How do you know? Well, I, I mean, I guess I don't know, but I know what I like. You know, same thing applies. That is a ridiculous argument in all sports. Oh, you never played, so you can have an opinion. Well, I mean, yeah, I never played, but I mean, I, I don't know, I, I, I watch enough games, I, I have an opinion and my opinion is valid, everybody's opinion is valid. Well, I take that back. Not everyone's opinion is valid, but mostly everyone's opinion is valid. I mean, listen, don't talk down to those who never played the game. Your sport isn't that complicated to grasp. And don't speak in tongues and talk about the zero set, the X set, the Y set, the cross slant route, go. You know, the 3-4 the, the package, the, the ZY double X split scheme. Please, you're talking in tongues. Nobody has any idea what you're talking about. Your job as an analyst is to, is to explain the game in a way that we, the layman, can understand. And by talking in tongues and talking about the zero set, you're talking in a way that no one can understand you. You're just doing it to satisfy your own ego. So if I can request one thing from NFL analysts as the summer progresses, 
We get into training camp in about a month from now. They'll be beginning to take the forefront on the NFL Network, ESPN, however you get your football and sports news. Please, former NFL players who are now NFL analysts, don't talk down to us. Don't talk in tongues. It's insulting, it's not educational, and it's not beneficial. Thank you. as always for listening to the latest Football Nation Today podcast here on footballnation.com. As always, feel free to send me an email with your show thoughts. My email address is areamer at bu.edu. Also follow me and my daily nonsense on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at alexreamer1. If you have a show comment, leave that in the show comment page as well. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week as we inch towards the end of June. Head into July. Next Wednesday, next Wednesday is July 4th, but as I said at the top of the show, we will come out with a new edition of Football Nation Today next Wednesday. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next on Football Nation Today, next Wednesday on the 4th of July.